Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Nikki. Hi, can I be heard? Okay, great. All right, I'm going to put down this little package, Ruby Doodle. Thanks for joining me, honey. Um, so strange because you guys are so quiet, but I'm going to trust that I can be heard. Um, I, I, I've noticed at the top of the meeting that I have, I don't know if my internet is funky right now or if my earbuds are funky. So um, if at some point you guys can't hear me, you know, make big motions or send me a note in the chat. And if, it, if for some reason it gets really bad, I will leave the meeting and come back because sometimes that can help. But for right now, it looks like we're all connected, which is wonderful. Um, thank you. I appreciate the thumbs up and the smiles and all of that. Um, thank you for organizing this meeting, Erin, and being secretary. And thank you to Leslie for asking me to speak. I'm very grateful to the for the opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, <clears throat> I have been, <clears throat> excuse me, in program for. Uh, 19 years, I 19 years abstinent. I first came in um, about 30 years ago, um, stuck around for a couple of years and, um, you know, came for the vanity, <laughs> like many of us do. And I would say that I came back for the sanity, which is what brought me back about a decade later. Um, uh, I'll, I'm going to start back a little further, though, just to give you the picture. Um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Okay, what it was like. Um, I don't feel like I entered the world uh, as a compulsive eater or that I had any particular challenges with food or any particular kind of body obsession or anything like that. Um, uh, yeah, things were fairly normal as far as that goes for a little girl. Um, I was um, athletic. I was a gymnast, competitive gymnast. Um, and eventually a dancer, and consequently I was, you know, working out a couple, couple few hours a day as just, you know, by rote as part of my, um, as part of the requirements of each of my, um, you know, compulsory sports and art and dancing and all of that. Um, and uh, there was nothing compulsive about that. That's just what was required. And that's what was a pleasure for me as a little girl. Um, so consequently, I didn't, uh, you know, puberty was delayed for me. And, um, uh, and I was kind of a scrawny kid, I guess, you know, thin, fit, whatever, um, as a young girl. And um, somewhere along the line that started to become somewhat part of my identity, I guess, uh, fitness, um, because I got, you know, attention for it because I was a gymnast and a dancer and your body is part of what you got to use when you show up to work every day, right? So um, <clears throat> I guess some degree of attachment formed there to my body and not just how it looks, but how well it functions and all of that stuff. And um, that was fine until around the time when puberty finally did hit, um, like maybe about halfway through high school or something, my body started to change and things started to soften and things started to grow. And this was not okay with me. This was very, very, very not okay with me. And um, 
I, I, I don't think I've ever led a meeting in 19 years without sharing this part of my story, but I very clearly remember the first time I ever asked anyone in my life, do I look fat? Or not even, it wasn't even, do I look fat? It was just, do I need to lose any weight? And it was a, a fellow dancer I was on scholarship with. I think I must've been about 15, 16 years old. And she looked me up and down and she was like, you No. And I was like, are you sure? And she looked again and she's like, if you really want three pounds. And that was the beginning of the end for me. That is, that is where the proverbial chase began. Chasing three pounds, chasing four pounds, chasing six pounds, chasing two pounds, chasing 20 pounds, chasing 12 pounds, like years and years and years and years. The floodgates were open for me. Um, so for some reason, it does seem fairly formulaic to me that um, for me personally, I do, I do not think this is true for all of us, but for me, um, if my um, body obsession gets out of hand, I will gain weight. <laughs> it will show up in my food. Like that this, this, this disorder, you know, here's the thing. That, that aspect of the story might be particular to me, but what the big book tells me isn't particular to me, but rather is particular to all addicts is that we are self-centered in the extreme. That's what the literature tells me, right? So whether it's body obsession or some other form of self-obsession, and it doesn't have to be um, of the higher order, right? It doesn't have to be like pride or righteousness or um, like, you know, cockiness or confidence. It can be, you know, low self-esteem and shame and degradation and fear and all of that, you know, especially self-centered fear, like all of that is me, 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 me. It doesn't matter. If, if I'm the piece of shit that the world revolves around, it's still all about me. You know, um, and I think that's what really set the stage for me um, as a compulsive eater and an addict, um, as a teenager, especially as an addict. You know, maybe the thing that made me skew towards food as opposed to other drugs is because I was athletic and I was skewed, you know, I had body obsession. Um, and, you know, my mom was a good cook. <laughs> you know, I my, I'm Jewish and Italian. Like, there's good food to be found with my people. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was a pretty good choice, too, for me then to become a compulsive eater. Um, but, you know, there was trauma and loss in my childhood. So I could have been on course for addiction. I, you know, I had a lot of death um, and a lot of chaos in the home. Um, so all of that could, could have contributed. Frankly, at this point, it's largely irrelevant because I got the ism. I'm stuck with the ism. Um, and that's okay with me because I'm also stuck with all of you and we get to, you know, trudge this road of happy destiny, um, which really has been a very happy one for me these 19 years, largely, um, since I've been back in a way. Um, so by the way, is the timer giving me segments or um, is it just like go until 6.20? You'll get a 10 minute warning at 6.10. <gasps> thank you. I can't, I don't know whose voice that was, but thank you. I'm going to assume it was an angel. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay. So I'm, I'm going to stick with what it was like then. So, uh, I came into program the first time, probably at about 19 years old. I think, uh, I was positive. I was one of you. I stuck around for three years. I worked program a little bit in LA, a little, I lived in London for part of the time and was there for that. Um, I did not get a great sponsor. I did not work steps. I, I hit it off with all of you. I appreciated the fellowship and I knew I was amongst my people. Um, but I was not yet ready at that young age to um, have a spiritual change, have a psychic change. 
um, and, and change myself. You know, I wasn't ready for that at that age. And I'm so impressed and amazed with young people that are able to do that. And I, I just pray for them that they can get this and get this quickly because it makes your life so much richer. Like, wow, what a, I mean, what a beautiful life I've had, um, the last couple decades in this program. And, um, if there's any way, if there's any way I could wish or pray that on anyone to accelerate their recovery, I would because it's worth it. Um, so I went away for another decade or so, and I did a lot of field research as a compulsive eater, which you know for me meant binging. You know, for, I was kind of like I was kind of like one of those like one or two day a week like heavy duty hardcore bingers, and like the rest of the days um, I was like good girl, you know, and I was on some kind of a diet or some kind of restricting thing. I did all of the crazy, weird, diety, restricty things that I'm not going to waste time listing right now, but you name them, I did them all. Um, I had some years of, of excessive laxative abuse, um, so I guess I do qualify as a bulimic for that reason, um, although I don't generally identify as a bulimic just because it feels like it's like whipped cream for me. It's not the cake, you know, <laughs> the, cake, the, the real entree here, the real main course is that I'm a compulsive eater. The real main course is that I'm self-centered in the extreme and that left to my own devices, I have hysterical thinking and I need to do something when that hysterical thinking comes up. And my best thinking is usually, I know I either need to eat more or I need to lose some weight or change my body. Um, that's, you know, that's what it really comes down to for me. So I came, I went away and for about a decade and I came back into OA, uh, 19 years ago. Um, uh, a, a year prior, my father had been diagnosed with uh, terminal brain cancer and I was singing and dancing overseas. And, uh, I, my dad became ill during one of my contracts and died on the next. And I was manically determined to keep working and keep traveling. And I wanted no part of this death, of this grief, of this loss of my family. Um, I did not want to be of service. I did not want to confront what was happening. I wanted to be alone with my food. And that's exactly what I was, is alone with my food. I alienated everyone in my life during that period of time. I fought with my cast members. Um, on my on my uh, cruise ships where I was working, uh, I was gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight, and I was destructive and I was stubborn and I was recalcitrant, and I was a dilettante and um, and I have so much compassion for that woman of about thirty years old, thirty one years old, um, because uh, she had just lost her daddy, you know, and I had an awesome dad. I had a really awesome dad, so I had a lot to grieve, and I didn't know how to grieve. And it's crazy. I should have been a black belt in grief because I have had so many traumas and losses. And by that point, I'd already had a few really big ones under my belt. But the tool that I had picked up, the best coping skill that I had picked up to get through those things um, was food and body obsession, self-obsession. And so that's what I went to when my dad died. Uh, and so when I came back to OA, um, and I guess that's 2001, right? Yeah, when I came back to OA in 2001, uh, I came back for sanity. I came for vanity, you know, 10 years prior, and I came back for sanity. And I knew that I needed a psychic change. I knew that I was uh, morally and spiritually sick. I got that. Um, I finally got that food was not my problem, but rather my solution. It was my solution for everything because I didn't have better ones. I didn't have better tools to work with. So um, when I came back to OA, I got a sponsor immediately, a good one. 
Um, I got her, I, I started working with her sight on scene. She was referred to me by someone else in program. She had a couple thousand years of abstinence. I was like, let's do this. Let's go. And I am, I am really, um, by nature, a very, very stubborn girl. Like I, I'm that person that like when that really nice guy that's being paid to help you in the parking lot to find a parking spot and how to navigate your way in. Like I'm the girl that's like secretly thinking like, dude, I've been driving for 50 years, or I guess I haven't been driving for 50 years. <laughs> I've been driving for whatever it is, 34 years. Like I can park a car. You know, that's, that's me. Like the nice guy that's trying to help me. I don't want to follow directions. I don't want any direction. I don't want your opinion. I don't want to know, you know, that's, that's how I'm wired. But um, I, when I'm in pain, <laughs> I will humble myself. And that's, that's what happened when I came back to OA is I was in pain. I was in a lot of pain. I just lost my dad. I was brokenhearted. I was sad. I felt fat, although I guess I wasn't by, uh, no, not I guess. I was not fat by um, any kind of medical standards. Um, you can't really see me now, which is kind of delightful. Um, but I am in a normal sized body now. I was in a normal sized body then, just probably a 20 pounds larger normal size body then, you know. Um, I, you know, I continue to work, I work in the fitness industry and I, I'm, I'm no longer young, but I still dance several days a week. And like, that's just part of what I do. That's part of my story. And like, I, I can do that now, um, because I'm not totally crazy self-obsessed. So I, like, I help other people with their fitness and, and I could do that. And I, and, um, and it's a pleasure to do that. And that would have been impossible to me before because, um, there's no way that I could have stood in front of a mirror all day, every day. I would have been mad. Um, and so I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, I came back into OA. I got a great sponsor. I started working steps immediately. Again, this is not because I was a good girl. It's not because I liked direction. It's because I was in pain. So I took direction. I worked steps consistently. Um, I don't know how to do it any other way. So that's what I recommend. If there are newcomers in the room and if you have the willingness, I would would get a sponsor ASAP. I would get a sponsor that has what you want. And I think that list should be short. They should be abstinent. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for someone that has every criteria you want in your life, you could. we're addicts people. We can be pretty demanding. You could be looking for a long time. So I would start with somebody that's abstaining, especially if you're not, because they've already got one day of something that you don't. So I would ask them how they do it. And what they're going to do is they're going to put your nose in the steps. They're going to start talking about step one. And they're going to help you admit that you're powerless over food and body obsession and that your life has become unmanageable. And that's, you know, that's, that's the beginning of the journey for me. Um, I'm looking at the clock to see how much time, uh, 5.55, right? Okay. And I have the option to go all the way to 6.20. I'd like to try to do questions. So I'm debating whether or not I'm going to go through all the steps. Maybe I'll do like shorthand steps. Um, admitting powerlessness, uh, for me, uh, it's not easy. I, I'm a willful girl and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in self and what self can do, you know, the will of self. And, um, you know, I was raised in an upper middle-class Jewish household with certain kind of ideals and a certain kind of belief in the power of what's possible when one puts one's mind to it, you know? And, um, so po admitting powerlessness and admitting defeat was difficult for me. And I can tell you that the thing that makes it possible for me is step two and three. You know, I don't think I could work step one had I never read step two and three, but knowing that, oh, I see, it's not that I'm 
it's not that I'm eliminating power from my life. I'm just accepting that it's not me. <laughs> it's certainly not all me, you know? So I'm humbling myself. I'm humbling enough. I'm humbling myself enough to say, I might not be powerless over everything. There is a light bulb right here in front of me. I can turn it off. I can turn it on. I have that power. I can do that, you know? But if there was a chocolate cake in front of me, <laughs> what happens to my power? Well, I'm happy to say that for today, I can resist that cake with no problem. I can even have a bite of it and walk away from it. That power has been given to me. But I didn't come with that power. That power was a, was a gift of a power greater than myself who has taught me to have not just restraint with food, but restraint of pen and tongue, restraint of all sorts of crazy weird compulsive behavior because I don't tolerate feelings. And when I have them, I want to do something. I want to do something. I don't want to sit and pause. <laughs> That's not a compulsive and addictive. Hi, honey. There's my husband, my hubby walking through the room. Um, I'm compulsive and addictive. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to be. I want to do. That's how I am. You know, so, steps one, so steps two and three helped bridge that gap for me. It helped me to go. Step two helped me consider if there was a power greater than myself, then maybe it's okay if I'm not all that powerful. And if I'm going to get to turn my will in my life over to the care of that higher power and get assistance, then maybe I'm willing to admit that I'm insane in step two. So, you know, e each of them sort of leads nicely to the other. And I know that as a newcomer, it can be really scary. You know, you look at step lot nine and you're like, make amends to everyone I've harmed. Like, what about that asshole that, you know, duh, I don't want to make amends to him because he's responsible. But that's why newcomers don't work step nine. <laughs> you know, people that just work step eight work step nine. So they, they, they work very beautifully for me in that way. Um, um, step four, <clears throat> made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line of the thing for me. Like, I want to blame the world for everything. I want to blame you. I want to drink blame people. I want to blame circumstances. I want to blame COVID. I want to blame the weather. I want to blame my finances. Definitely not my dog. She's off the hook. She's the only one that's off the hook. But everything else gets blamed, you know? So in step four, I've learned to take inventory of myself um, and what my part is um, in the things that happen to me. Um, and that doesn't mean that terrible things don't happen to me. And it doesn't mean that I'm responsible when they do. That's not fair. You know, all, terrible things happen in this world. Um, but my reaction is my responsibility. That's my part. What am I doing with what I'm given? You know, um, and that's the steps give me the opportunity to pause and evaluate that. Um, in step five, I get to humbly admit it to another person, to God and to myself. Like these are my flaws. That's very important for me because if if I don't examine and on a regular basis what my flaws and liabilities are, I will determine I have one, too fat, or maybe two too hungry. But if I consider that I have other character flaws, I've got a chance. Suddenly, food gets smaller, body gets smaller, head gets smaller, and I find myself doing gracious things like apologizing for poor behavior, <laughs> amending poor behavior, which of course brings me to step eight and nine. But before we get there, a little plug for six and seven. These character liabilities, they are for reals for me. They are so real. I, I have to tell you, I, I'm a real champion of step six and seven. I think they're my favorites. I don't know if that's like Sophie's choice. You're not supposed to pick your favorite kid. But I think I, I do want to throw out, throw out a little banner for six and seven. Um, because what they've helped me learn is the reason I'm in pain when I'm in pain. Because um, my best thinking will say, I'm in pain because I'm fat. And my step work will tell me, no, you're not. You're in pain because you're vain. 
You could be 600 pounds and the vanity would be the problem, not the fat. You know, it doesn't matter. It's me. It's me. And, and even like, you know, you could even argue, well, 600 pounds is probably unhealthy. Yeah, but the pain is the compulsive eating, not the body. <laughs> Don't blame the body. That, and that's what I will do. I will blame my body. I will blame my essence. I won't examine my character without steps that have taught me how to do it. And how to, how to ask for help with it. Like not to use it as a whipping post, not to say step four taught me that I'm full of resentment and fear, you know, and step six taught me that I'm full of character defects, you know, and so I'm flawed and that's that. No, what they've given me is, is a methodology by which I can hand these things over and ask for help with them. You know, in, in step seven, I get to ask a, a power greater than myself humbly, please take these things and help me. And my experience is, is that when I come with that kind of humility, I do get the help I seek. Does this make me perfect? Far from it. You know, my husband just walked through the room. If he can hear me now, I'm sure he's like, no, she ain't. <laughs> but you know what? I'm doing the best I can on a daily basis. And, and I, I truly believe that I have some kind of divine assistance with that. And I don't know what that means because a power greater than myself is something that's very, very vague to me. You know, if there are newcomers, old timers, I don't care. If there's anyone in this room that is struggling with the concept of power greater than yourself, I got to tell you, I have to know exactly one thing about a power greater than myself. And it's that it isn't me. That's it. Well, you know, it's not me, it's not my thighs, it's not my ass, it's not my finances, it's not my income, it's not who loves me, it's not who rejects me, who hires me, you know, it is, it's not what you think of me, you know, it's not what I think of me. Um, it's nothing, it's nothing about my ego, you know, it's about what's available to me that is bigger and better. Bigger, better, more loving, more beautiful, more brilliant, more wise, and more powerful than I can ever imagine. I don't know what that is. I don't have to know, you know? And that's what I've been turning my will, my life, my food, my body obsession all of these years over to. Um, where are we? Step nine, we're making amends, right? Because I messed up. And I have had uh, lots of blemishes and skirmishes along the way. And um, some of which are of the very compulsive eatery ver ver kind of variety, you know, things involving, uh, oh, there was like, there was stuff like um, calling in fat. You know, that's like when you don't go to work because you, you don't like how you're feeling that day. You know, the, the, the funny thing is technically it was true. Like, I don't mean I was truly fat. What I mean is <clears throat> I was calling in sick and I was sick. It just wasn't the way in which I was disclosing to my employers at the time, you know. Um, uh, 10 steps to me are, they're utterly essential. You know, uh, I can say this, I can get through this statement now. I didn't used to be able to get through this statement, uh, very easily, but I can, I can say it now. Four years ago, uh, a member of my immediate family was tortured and assaulted and murdered and beyond mine or anyone else's comprehension and radically changed my life. And I am telling you that I abstained from it because I wrote 10 steps every day. I've been doing that for years. It saves my butt. It saves my butt. One email to my sponsor every day without fail. What am I looking for? I'm looking for my challenges. 
on a daily basis. I'm looking for things I handled with grace, things that were growth. I'm looking for where was I of service. Um, I'm looking for how, how did I work my program today? Um, I'm looking for how could I have done it differently next time? These things are showing up in my 10th step. I don't know how I would have abstained through a loss of that magnitude. I mean, all, all I, to, I told you all in the beginning of the share, I have a black belt in grief. I've been through it a lot of times. I had a lot of loss, you know, but I am, I am only newly experienced in how to do it with dignity and grace. You know, I will tell you this about the dignity and grace version. It's raw. -er -er. <laughs> it's raw. -er. Um, it's, uh, it ain't pretty. Uh, I feel my feelings. I am an emotional, volatile female person. I told you, Italian and Jewish parentage. <laughs> There's a lot of food in my home. There's a lot of emotion. There's flying plates and all sorts of saucers and salt and pepper shakers and hairbrushes. Woo! All of that stuff in my household, you know? And there but for the grace of God go I. I mean, I, that's, that's all in this torrent called Nikki. You know, I carry, I carry some of that stuff around with me on a daily basis. But I have a program that helps me to find grace and dignity and to pause, you know. And that's what a 10 step is for me. It's a pause button. And in a way, so is step 11 because, again, I want to act. I want to do something, you know. I don't want to pause and listen. You know, I'm going to try really hard to save enough time so that you guys can ask me questions and I can pause and listen, you know, but that's what step 11 is for me. And step 11, the last year or two, I'm working a little differently because pausing is so hard for me. Total silence is really, really difficult. Um, as you can hear what a chatterbox I am. Um, so if I infuse my step 11 work in the morning, which for newcomers is seeking through prayer and meditation, seeking a power grade myself through parent meditation. I'm paraphrasing, but um, if I just sit in silence, uh, I don't get too much merit because the static is so insane. I, that's true for a lot of people, the static, the noise, right? That's why we meditate, the quiet, the static, the noise. But it's easier for me if I have a mantra, an affirmation, uh, something that I'm med meditating on or for, the last year or so, it's usually about abundance and gratitude um, because if I fundamentally suffer from both acute and chronic not enoughism. So I have to seek abundance and gratitude and affirm them on a regular basis um, so that I am able to bear witness to my big, beautiful life because I do have a big, beautiful life, but I won't notice it if I don't if I don't do this work. That's where step 11 comes for me. Step 12 is this moment. It's literally this moment, right? I mean, I, I, I have no idea if I'm carrying the message of recovery to the still suffering compulsive eater. It could be, I don't know, there's 60, 70 something people here present. Perhaps not one of you have gotten anything from what I've had to say. And I'm sorry if that's the case. This is my tale. But you know, this is me doing my damnedest to carry the message of recovery to the still suffering compulsive eater. Um, this is, this is what I've learned. I'm not an expert. Um, well, I, I'm, I was going to say I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a coach. Well, I am a coach, but that's got nothing to do with this. That's not the skill set I'm using here. I'm using no skill set. What I'm using is broken me. Broken me, went to the repair shop, got fixed. The repair shop said, 
take these 12 steps and call me in the morning. And what I find is that some kind of strange voodoo magic happens with those steps. I don't understand it. I think it has something to do with humbling my ego, um, which is bigger than my little iPad here can hold. And um, that somehow when my ego is right-sized, so is my food and so is my body. And um, I think I'm going to open it up for questions. And thank you again for asking me to share, Leslie, and for the ability, the opportunity to be of service. And I'd love to hear what you all have to say. And thank you for the virtual applause. Am I going to so, get Nikki? I, Nick, yeah, Nikki, I just posted it in the chat that people can either write in their questions if they okay. can't speak verbally um, okay. or they can raise their hand and I can call on them for you. So okay, cool. that way you can focus on answering the questions. Thanks so much. And you can call on them for me? Yeah. I vote for So that. no one has, Thank okay, you. yeah, yeah. So, so no one has their hand raised just yet. Um, okay. So if anyone has any questions, please raise your hand or type it in the chat. Okay, it looks like Shireen has a question. Shireen, go ahead and unmute yourself. Okay, hi Shireen, um, restrictor and bulimic. Thank you hi, so Shireen. much for your share, hi. Thank you, I'm trying to find you. I'm scrolling quickly to find you. Yes. Looks like Shireen muted herself. Would, can you unmute? Yeah, can you there hear me now? Go. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm still new. I'm in my first 30 days. And when you talked about the hysterical thinking, I can so relate to that. That's exactly, gosh, what I've been going through lately. And um, I guess my question is, what do you do for that? Because today, um, you know, I did what I felt that I could do you know, make the phone calls, journal, meditate, um, you know, go for a walk, try to be of service by calling other people or doing things. And mm -hmm. um, I know that sometimes I just have to sit with it and learn to deal with those feelings that I don't like. Um, do you have any other tools that you've learned to use to help with that? I don't because I never have hysterical thinking. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, hysterical thinking is like, it's, it's how I'm hardwired. It's, it's, it has the potential to be constant. It's not, but it, it can be. So yes, I deeply understand it and I appreciate the question. Thank you. Um, I, got a, I, I joined a second 12-step step fellowship a couple of years ago and I did get help with that too on the topic of... Um, creativity, work, money, and that kind of stuff. And that was part of it because some of my hysterical thinking is about that and security. Um, so that, uh, that's part of it. Um, but it's, it is that pause button. It, it has everything to do with the steps. See, the literature tells me that self-knowledge avails me nothing. And I believe that. That's true. I mean, almost nothing. Like, I can't, I can't stop compulsively eating on self-knowledge. But... One, things, one thing the steps have taught me is that I have a history of distortion. And the you know, steps have taught me so many things, but that's one. So I now have the ability to recognize my own hysterical thinking as potentially hysterical thinking. So I, I sometimes I will talk to myself like a compassionate mother would mm -hmm. to a crazy little girl, six-year-old. 
that like wants to do X, Y, or Z, and it's totally inappropriate and outlandish and not the right idea. But it would be bad parenting to just punish and abuse them and make them wrong. But it would also be bad parenting to indulge them. So um, I sort of, I try to navigate the line between the two and sort of try to talk to myself like, I hear you. I hear that that's real for you, but it ain't. <laughs> so let's do this. Now, let's take a walk, let's make a phone call, let's go to a meeting, let's write this thing. Um, I, I cannot emphasize enough how much step 10 helps me with this. It just, it just, I have to write about it. I have to write about it and I have to get to the essence of what is it, what is the nature of my character defects? What is the nature of my fear of my resentment? If I can get into that, the hysteria goes away and I enter present time. Okay, that helps. Thank you. Sure. Great. The next question is going to be from Rick F. Oh, Rick, go you, ahead Katie. and unmute yourself. Uh, my question is kind of simple. What do you feel is the biggest threat to your abstinence? And then how do you deal with that? Oh, Rick, that's a fantastic question. The biggest threat to my abstinence, no questions, hands down, unequivocally, is me. <laughs> In fact, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to take it further. I don't think that I'm the biggest threat to my abstinence. I think I'm the only threat to my abstinence. There is no external threat to my abstinence. There is no death, there is no pandemic, there is no loss, there is no tragedy, there is no success. There, there is nothing that is a threat to my abstinence that is outside of me. The threat to my abstinence is my ego. So if I remain humble, I put my nose in a big book, and whatever I discover there, if I pass it on to another fellow suffering compulsive eater, I'm good. There's no threat to my abstinence. Abstinence is not difficult. I have no problem with food. I want to be very clear. I don't struggle with food. That's not because there's anything wonderful about me. I'm messed up. <laughs> I really struggled with food. I don't struggle with food because I don't want to. And so I do, I take my medication and my medication is put face in big book <laughs> extract information, pass it on to next person who needs information. No threat to my abstinence there, period. What was the second part of the question? So how do you deal with it? So you don't, you don't listen to the compulsive overeater, I guess. No, I don't. I don't. But also, like, she's pretty quiet. You know, the compulsive eater is just like, she's like a... She's like a day player. She's not even a day player. She's like an extra. She's not, she's not the main, she's not the star of the show. You know what I mean? She's just like, she's a, um, she's an affect, you know, the, 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 she's one of the little demons that my ego cast to try to protect me, you know, but I'm not scared of any compulsive eater. I'm not scared of food. I'm not scared of restaurants. You can put any plate of food in front of me. I don't care. It's not, Food's not the issue. And I don't, I don't mean to say that there aren't alcoholic foods for many of us. That's fine. But the big book tells me that when faced with alcohol, I'm going to recoil as if from a hot flame. That's what, that's what, over, that's what binging is to me at this point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that any more than I would put my hand in a hot flame and keep it there. Any other questions? Great. Yeah, so we actually have a question in the chat, um, and it's from Sunny, who's a newcomer. She says, hi, Nikki. My name is Sunny. Thank you for your share. I'm a newcomer. I'm 20 years old. You said you came into program when you were 19 and loved the fellowship 
or resistant against working the steps. I feel the yeah. same. What advice would you give to me to feel more motivated to work the steps? Thank you. Can you remind me of her name? Her name's Sunny. Sunny. Or his name. Or their name. His. Sorry. Sunny. Sunny has hers theirs. Because um, I can't see you, Sunny. So, uh, Sunny, um, thank you so much for your question. And... I paused for a few seconds because I was sending a prayer your way because I would love for you to get this. It's hard. It is not easy when you're young. Unfortunately, I have no prescription for you above and beyond pain. Your own pain will probably be the arbiter of your willingness. If this is bad enough, you might consider doing things differently. It's harder to do when you're, when you're young because I, I don't think I, my brain wasn't as malleable. I wasn't as flexible. I was it surprisingly set more set in my ways. But when I was in enough pain, I was willing to listen. I was willing to take direction. I was willing to humble myself. So I would say, listen to your pain. Don't ignore it. Let it be instructive. Let it be informative. Let it tell you that you need help. And when that feeling comes, I need help and I'm willing to ask for it, ask, don't wait. That's not where to use the pause button. Then act quickly because amnesia will set in and you will feel cocky and confident again and you will feel like you have it all figured out again because that's what we do. So act when you're in pain, act swiftly and decisively, get a sponsor, take direction. Great, thank you. And then it looks like we might have time for one or two more. So it looks like Terrence R. has a question. Hi. Um, what do you think of going through the steps quickly, like back to basics type style or the first time? What do you think of that? Uh, quickly as opposed to what? Slowly? Well, sometimes people get mired down. And I, there's this, an approach, which is uh, four one-hour sessions. and um, But that's just an example. Do you, do you Got think it. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have an opinion about any particular approach. I mean, I think the only wrong way to work the steps is not to. So I think it's all good, and I think we all do what we can, and that is determined by our willingness, which I've shared my philosophy, I believe, is determined by our pain. You know, if you're in pain, then you're probably willing, and if you're willing, then you'll probably get into the steps, you know. Um, but uh, uh, for me, it's not about speed or expediency. It's about continuity. It's, it, this is a day at a time program and I think a day at a time planet. Like, it, like, this, like, you know, you've heard the old, you can't keep your teeth clean on brushing your teeth. You can't keep your clean, teeth clean today if you brush your teeth yesterday. Um, I, I really encourage my sponsees to get their nose in the big book and get their nose in our literature regularly. Um, I, I have yet to meet a compulsive eater that isn't also a bit of a perfectionist. So I, I think like, I don't recommend like not doing any step work at all and then spending three hours, four hours and going crazy and like, you know, I, I would rather, I tell my sponsees, if you could do five, 10 minutes a day and keep at it, you know, I, I believe there's something to be said for continuity because I have amnesia and the, and the following day I'll forget, you know. Um, but I don't have any opinion about any particular way of doing it. I'm, I do like the big book. I do big book. Okay, I did get a couple more questions in the chat, but they're pretty similar to the ones that um, have already been answered. So how about the last okay. one will be from Bob L. Okay. 
Are you there, Bob? Uh, Bob, compulsive overeater, sugar addict here. Hi, Bob. Hi. Um, you mentioned right the fact right that you have a fitness background and that you work right in the fitness industry. Um, prior to me having a really really bad accident in 2008, which led to an extreme uh, weight gain, I was very much of an exercise bulimic. I controlled my weight. Um, and I never went over a certain weight. I would always be the person that would be in the, in the gym late at night. Um, in 2014, I got serious with this program. In about a year and a half, I lost about 111 pounds. And for some reason, my, my ego or my lack of ego or my lack of self-esteem, whatever it is, I could not handle the positive affirmations that I was getting. And I eventually ended up going back to the food. I would really love to get back into exercise again. I would really love to. This crazy addict mind of mine. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Bob. Is there a question there? Yeah, my question is, sorry. It's okay. You, no problem. Being an addictive personality, right? Um, maybe it's never been an issue for you, but exercise, I believe you said oh, that gosh. you exercised bulimic before. How do you, how do you handle that? Okay, great question. So how do I handle, handle, I believe what you're asking is how do I handle approaching exercise with moder with moderation, right? Not to be extreme. I mean, it's the same thing as handling the food or anything else in life with moderation that I've learned to do through working the 12 steps is that, you know, and no pendulum swing is a solution to the opposite pendulum swing, right? So we know that the solution to obesity is not anorexia, you know, and we, and we know that the solution to anorexia is not eat a cheeseburger. Look, we, we know that in a way. We know that we're looking for balance. We're, we're, we're looking to be balanced, healthy humans, you know, who can mingle and coexist with other humans at mealtime, et cetera. Um, that's, the, that's how I view exercise. Like the solution to exercise bulimia to me is not the absence of movement. That doesn't make any sense to me. That sounds like some version of anorexia, is my opinion, you know? And, and, and the, the solution to sloth and um, an absence of any physical reality you know, is, is not exercise bulimia and manic, crazy, competitive, hysterical um, fitness, right? Like no matter what, I'm aiming for moderation. And um, I believe your question is, how do I do that? 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous, period. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do moderation. You know, that, the steps teaches me what moderation looks like in exercise the same way it teaches me on my plate. Now, my personal exercise would not be moderate for some because of the, the, the career choices and the things I do with my life. I, fitness is a big part of my life, but I approach it very moderately. There's certainly no punishment or shame or blame in there, um, not, for, not only just on my clients, but on myself. You know, I got, I got to approach this body with like love and self-respect. This, this old thing's carried me around for 50 years. I got to give it gratitude. You know, and that I think that's where it started.